everyone, welcome to Dig Deep. Well, as many of you know, my family and I live in Maryland. We live about 20 minutes south of Baltimore, about 45 minutes north of Washington, D.C., and about 45 minutes west of one of the scariest bridges in the world. The Chesapeake Bay Bridge has been labeled by some as the scariest bridge in America, and it shows up on pretty much every top 10 list of scariest bridges across the globe. It's actually not one bridge, it's two separate bridges that run parallel to each other, one eastbound and one westbound. The bridges are about 4.3 miles across, and they have a maximum height of 186 feet above the Chesapeake Bay. Now that might not sound very scary to you, but when you add wind narrow lanes, the absence of any kind of shoulder at all, and what feel like insufficient guardrails on either side of the bridge, it can be truly terrifying. Now, I've grown up crossing the Bay Bridge, and my in-laws live on the other side of the bridge, and so we cross it all the time, and I've never really thought it was all that bad. But I have noticed that the older I get and the more kids I have, I have gotten slightly more nervous crossing the highest part of the bridge. But there are some people that are truly terrified by it. I know people who have to turn their music up super loud to distract themselves, and they refuse to look anywhere except the lane right in front of them just to get across. Some people can't bring themselves to do it at all, so drive-over services have popped up over the years. There are three main companies now that will drive you across the bridge for $25 each way, and over 6,000 people use that service every year. But the strangest strategy I've ever heard for getting across the Bay Bridge, I really did not even believe the first time I read it. But it seems to be somewhat substantiated. A woman named Geraldine Ross, who at the time was the president of the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, told the Associated Press in 2008 that she had two patients who were so terrified at the thought of crossing the Bay Bridge that they had their wives lock them in the trunk of their cars to make the trip across. And when I read that, I thought, you have got to be kidding. I drive over the Bay Bridge all the time, but I am super claustrophobic, so you could not pay me enough to be locked in anyone's trunk for any reason. No, no, no. Today, we are talking about courageous love. And so we need to start by defining courage. My favorite definition of courage was given to us by Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., who said, courage is the power of the mind to overcome fear. See, for whatever reason, people are so committed to getting to the other side of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge that they go to incredible lengths to push through their fear and get across. Courage, at its core, is not an emotion. It's a decision. Now, courage can be an emotion. We might suddenly feel courageous or be overcome with a wave of courage. But courage is much more often a decision that is in direct conflict with our feelings. And I believe the same is true of love, but that's a concept that is mostly lost on our culture. Because most of us are convinced that at its core, love is an emotion. It's a gut feeling. And Jesus is going to show us today that while love is sometimes a feeling, it is much more often a decision. And sometimes it's a decision that's in direct conflict with our emotions. In our last episode, we looked at Jesus' humble servant love that he demonstrated for us by washing his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. Now the Last Supper is finished and Jesus has led his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane 
to pray. And so today we're going to read in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now I want us to pause here for a minute and just attempt to grasp Jesus's emotional state. In Luke's account of Jesus in the garden, he describes it this way. In Luke 22, verse 44, he says, And being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus is experiencing deep emotional pain. He is tormented and troubled. The Greek word that Luke uses here, agonia, is translated agony. It's distress, anguish. And the root word refers to an inner conflict or turmoil. There's a battle that's going on here in Jesus's heart. And it's important for us to remember that during his life here on earth, Jesus was both fully God and fully human. And here we see the depths of his humanity. He is experiencing emotion so deep and so powerful that he tells his disciples he feels overwhelmed by it. And as emotions often do, Jesus' emotions manifest themselves in physical ways. Jesus falls prostrate before God in prayer. He is literally dripping with sweat. I imagine his heart is pounding. His heart is breaking. And this is different from the grief that Jesus experienced at the death of his friend Lazarus. Jesus, we read, wept from grief and loss. He had felt sorrow, the sorrow that we all experience because of the various forms of brokenness and loss in this world. But this was different. Jesus was experiencing all of this emotional pain, not because of something that had happened, but because of something that was about to happen. He is experiencing this suffering because before him was an act of obedience, a decision. And so in the midst of that emotional pain, that emotional agony, what does Jesus do? He prays, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus makes a decision that is in direct conflict with his emotions. He demonstrates courageous love. Listen, love is not an emotion that we fall victim to any more than courage is a virtue that we sort of luckily stumble upon. Both love and courage must be chosen. They must be practiced and they can be grown in any heart and they can survive any opposition. Love is like a muscle. It requires practice and intentional effort if it's going to grow over time. And this act of obedience in the garden was just the first step in Jesus's ultimate fulfillment of his love for us, going to the cross. Going to the cross was more difficult than any of us could possibly imagine. It wasn't just a physical death. It was spiritual separation from the Father. And the thought of it caused Jesus gut-wrenching agony in the garden. But he chose to do it anyway. 
And so here we see Jesus in the midst of this cosmic battle that's going on for the fate of all of humanity. And Jesus emerges. He goes to take a break. And I picture him sweaty like a boxer coming out of the ring. And he goes back to his disciples and he finds them asleep. Oh, you guys, the disciples, oh, they drive me crazy sometimes. Jesus's strength, the strength of his resolve is held up in direct comparison with our weakness as humans. Verse 40 says, Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Three separate times, Jesus leaves to go pray, asking the disciples to keep watch. And every time he comes back and finds them asleep. Now, just like I said in our last episode, sometimes I can feel so frustrated with the disciples, but when I take a step back and I'm honest with myself, I see that I am exactly like them. And the story that came to mind for me when I was reading this passage was in high school. I went on a short-term missions trip overseas with a team of people, and one evening after a particularly long day, we were spending some time together in Bible study and prayer, and I was exhausted. I mean, totally wiped out. I made it through the Bible study time, but when it came time to pray, whoo, I knew I was in trouble. The second I closed my eyes, I could feel my body pulling me towards sleep. I had to keep repositioning myself on the concrete floor where I was sitting, but every time I would close my eyes after just a few seconds, I could feel that strong, almost gravitational pull of sleep. And finally, while the leader of the trip was passionately praying, I completely fell asleep and fell over and only woke up when my hand instinctively slapped the concrete floor to catch myself. And everyone looked up from their prayer to see the MVP teammate, the girl who fell asleep when she was supposed to be praying. Jesus said to his disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I know from my own personal experiences that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My heart wanted to stay awake and pray, but my flesh kept pulling me towards sleep. But when I was discussing this passage just this past week with some other women at my church, I suddenly got struck with a haunting question. But what if my spirit is weak? I know that my flesh is weak. What if my spirit is weak? What if what God is calling me to do doesn't just go against my flesh, but it goes against my heart and my mind and my emotions? Remember, this whole series is based on Jesus' words to us in John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And here's the thing. We all have acts of love that God is calling us to every single day that are in direct conflict with our feelings. And in those moments, we feel like we're standing on one side of a bridge that we just don't want to cross. And it might be a small bridge. It might be just in the mundane and in the everyday things. And we just don't feel like crossing for whatever reason. So you're having that stupid argument with your spouse. And you know that if you just took a step back and apologized, you could turn the argument around. But you know what? You just don't feel like it. Or you're so annoyed with that one coworker. You know that one. And you see her struggling with a project. And you know how you could help her succeed. But you just don't feel like it. 
or you're exhausted and frustrated with your kids and all you want to do is scream at them and lock yourself in the bathroom, but God is calling you to speak words of love to them, to give them hugs and make them dinner, but you just don't feel like it. We all have relatively small acts of love that God is calling us to every single day that are in conflict with our feelings. But the reality is that for a lot of you who are listening today, you have a bridge to cross that feels a hundred miles long and several hundred feet high. And you feel frozen in fear because all you can think is I'm going to get halfway across that thing and plummet to my death and it's going to be awful. You know that he's calling you to stay and fight for your marriage. You know that he's prompting you to lovingly serve that family member who's hurt you again and again and again. You know that he wants you to forgive that person who hurt you and that starting out on that journey isn't going to just be a nice little 10-minute drive over a bridge. It's going to be years of forgiving again and again and again every single day. And as you stand there staring at that bridge, whether it's a big bridge or a small bridge, your emotions will keep your feet planted. Your anger, your fear of being hurt again, or maybe just your apathy, they're like cement shoes that will keep you from crossing. So we need to really see Jesus in the garden. We need to understand that when it grieved him the most, when in the depths of his humanity, he wrestled with his own preferences and desires and emotions and asked the father, is there any other way He ultimately chose to love you and he chose to love me and be obedient to the act of sacrificial love that was in front of him. And then he calls you and he calls me to love one another as he has loved us. And I know that that is terrifying, but here's the amazing news. God knew that not only would our flesh be weak, but our spirits would often be weak. And so he gives us his In Acts 1, he promises us that we would receive power when we receive the gift of his Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 3, we're told that it's out of his glorious riches that he gives us power through his Spirit. It's a gift that he gives to us. 2 Timothy 1 reminds us that that gift, that Spirit, is not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. Listen, Jesus knew this would be hard for us, so he offers us a drive-over service. He gives us his spirit of strength when ours is weak. He will hold your hand and show you the next step. He will give you the words. He will give you the strength. I've even prayed prayers that sound a lot like, Jesus, I'm going to need you to lock me in the trunk of your car and drive me over there yourself because I cannot bring myself to do this. God knew that we would struggle, and so he gave us his spirit of strength in the place of our weakness. So go to him. Don't try to do it on your own strength. Ask him to move through you by the power of his spirit, and he will give you what you need to step out in obedience. I believe Jesus in the garden shows us two very practical principles of obedience that will help us love courageously. And the first is this, keep your eyes on the prize. See, the whole reason people cross bridges in the first place is they are motivated by what's on the other side. And the author of Hebrews tells us that's exactly what Jesus did in his obedience in the garden and on the cross. Hebrews 12, 1, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
Do you see it? Jesus pushed through the pain and the betrayal and the injustice of it all to love us back to the Father. He was able to see what was on the other side, and in victory, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross, and then he calls us to endure, to run with perseverance, to live in faith, and to live out his command on our lives to love one another. And if our eyes are focused on just trying to be as comfortable as possible, or if our ultimate goal is just whatever earthly happiness we can get, we will just stay on this side of the bridge. This is why the love that he calls us to is courageous love. It's a love that pushes forward even when your heart is breaking, even when you are desperately disappointed by the ones that you love who've let you down, even when you are so angry you feel like you're going to explode, even when it means dying to yourself, even when it feels like dying. But God's way leads to life. And you might think to yourself, listen, even if I do love this person, even if I do take that step of obedience, she's just going to take advantage of my generosity, or he's going to just still be a jerk to me, or she won't reciprocate the apology. And here's the thing, that might happen. But if you refuse to love, that will almost definitely happen. Love, courageous love, is the only thing that really gives us a shot at healing and wholeness and restored peace and joy in our relationship with others. But even if, even if your act of love doesn't heal that relationship here on earth, it will, it will take you closer to the one who first loved you. That is where real life is experienced. That is our only hope of real, lasting peace and joy. But to get to that peace and joy, you will need to choose day by day, and moment by moment, to push through regardless of your feelings, which leads to the other principle we see lived out by Jesus in the garden, which is to just take one step at a time. After Jesus had prayed three times, asking if there was any other way, he submitted himself in obedience to the Father, and then we read that he got up, he returned to his disciples, and he told them, get up, Let's go. And he began taking one step after another toward the cross. And the good news is, Jesus is going to walk it with you. He listens to you and he loves you. I believe you can and should be totally honest with God about your feelings along the way. Jesus expressed his feelings to his father. So say, I feel angry, or I feel so hurt, I feel so frustrated, or I feel so afraid, or maybe even I don't feel anything, I just feel completely apathetic. Your feelings are valid. They shouldn't be stuffed down or ignored, but they also should not control you. So I encourage you to voice your feelings out loud, or write it in your journal, or say it in your mind. I'm going to choose to love anyway. And then ask him by the power of his spirit to give you the strength to do it and then do it. Just take the next step. Give the hug that you don't feel like giving. Apologize even though she should apologize first. Forgive even though he hasn't apologized. Serve that coworker even though she drives you crazy. And give without expecting to receive anything in return. Choose to love. That is the heart of courageous love. And that's the kind of love that he calls us to 
when he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so as we close, I know that this episode brings up some tough stuff for many of us, myself included. And so today I want to close by praying over us and asking God to give us his strength to love courageously in whatever situation you're facing today. So let's pray. Lord, we need you. We feel your command to love others burning in our hearts, but our flesh is weak. And sometimes not only our flesh is weak, but our spirit is weak too. We do not feel loving feelings. Many of us today, God, are feeling apathetic or angry or bitter or so deeply hurt we don't have the words to describe it. And so we ask you for your Holy Spirit, God, to move our feet to take that next step to choose love, even when it's in direct conflict with our feelings. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved us that way, that you loved me that way. Thank you that you loved us even when we rebelled against you and we let you down, we ignored you, we fought against you in our lives. You loved us. You pushed through with courageous love, and we are so grateful. Thank you, Jesus, for this time to be together, to look at your word, to see your heart for us, and then to carry that love into our relationships with others. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.